Section 5 of Rock Crystal by Ottobert Stifter Translated by Liam Hollander This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rock Crystal Continued From the ice they took a direction downward over the snow which was to lead them into the valley, but they were not to get far. Another river of ice traversed the soft snow like a gigantic wall bulging up and towering aloft, and, as it were, reaching out with its arms to the right and the left. It was covered by snow on top, but at its sides there were gleams of blue and green and drab and black, aye, even of yellow and red. They could now see to larger distances, as the enormous and unceasing snowfall had abated somewhat and was only as heavy as on ordinary snowy days. With the audacity of ignorance, they clambered up on the ice, in order to cross the interposing tongue of the glacier and to descend farther behind it. They thrust their little bodies into every opening, they put their feet on every projection covered by a white snow hood, whether ice or rock, they aided their progress with their hands, they crept where they could not walk, and with their light bodies worked themselves up until they had finally gained the top of the wall. They had intended to climb down its other side. There was no other side. As far as the eyes of the children reached, there was only ice. Hummocks, slabs, and spires of ice rose about them, all covered with snow. Instead of being a wall which one might surmount, and which would be followed by an expanse of snow, as they had thought, New walls of ice lifted up out of the glacier, shattered and fissured and variegated with innumerable blue sinuous lines, and behind them were other walls of the same nature, and behind them others again, until the falling snow veiled the distance with its gray. "'Sana, we cannot make our way here,' said the boy. "'No,' answered his sister. "'Then we will turn back and try to get down somewhere else.' Yes, Conrad. The children now tried to climb down from the ice wall where they had clambered up, but they did not succeed. There was ice all about them, as if they had mistaken the direction from which they had come. They turned hither and thither, and were not able to extricate themselves from the ice. It was as if they were entangled in it. At last, when the boy followed the direction they had, as he thought, come, they reached more scattered boulders, but they were also larger and more awe-inspiring, as is usually the case at the edge of the glacier. Creeping and clambering, the children managed to issue from the ice. At the rim of the glacier there were enormous boulders, piled in huge heaps, such as the children had never yet seen. Many were covered all over with snow. Others showed their slanting undersides, which were very smooth and finely polished, as if they had been shoved along on them. Many were inclined toward one another, like huts and roofs. Many lay upon one another like mighty clods. Not far from where the children stood, several boulders were inclined together, and over them lay broad slabs like a roof. The little house they thus formed was open in front, but protected in the rear and on both sides. The interior was dry, 
as not a single snowflake had drifted in. The children were very glad they were no longer in the ice, but stood on the ground again. But meanwhile it had been growing dark. Sana, said the boy, we shall not be able to go down today because it has become night, and because we might fall or even drop into some pit. We will go in under these stones where it is so dry and warm, and there we will wait. The sun will soon rise again, and then we shall run down from the mountain. Don't cry, please don't cry, and I shall give you all the things to eat which grandmother has given us to take along. The little girl did not weep. After they had entered under the stone roof, where they could not only sit comfortably, but also stand and walk about, she seated herself close to him and kept very quiet. "'Mother will not be angry,' said Conrad. "'We shall tell her of the heavy snow that has kept us, and she will say nothing. Father will not either. And if we grow cold, why, we must then slap our hands to our bodies as the woodcutters did, and then we shall grow warm again.' "'Yes, Conrad,' said the girl. Sanna was not at all so inconsolable, because they could not run down the mountain and get home, as he might have thought. For the immense exertion, of whose severity the children hardly had any conception, made the very sitting down seem sweet to them, unspeakably sweet, and they did not resist. And now hunger asserted itself imperiously. Almost at the same time, both took their pieces of bread from their pockets and began to eat. They ate also the other things, such as little pieces of cake, almonds, raisins, and other trifles, which grandmother had put into their pockets. Sana, now we must clean the snow from our clothes, said the boy, so that we shall not become wet. Yes, Conrad, replied Sana. The children went before their little house. Conrad first brushed off his little sister. He grasped the corners of her coat and shook them, took off the hat he had put on her head, emptied it of snow, and wiped off the snow that remained in it. Then he rid himself as best he could of the snow that lay on him. At that time it had entirely stopped snowing. The children could not feel one flake descending. They returned into their stone hut and sat down. Getting up had showed them how tired they really were, and they were glad to sit down again. Conrad laid down the calfskin bag which he had strapped on his shoulders. He took out the cloth in which Grandmother had wrapped a pasteboard box and several paper packages and put it about his shoulders for greater warmth. He also took the two pieces of wheat bread out of his wallet and gave Sanna both. The child ate them most eagerly. A part of them, however, she gave back to Conrad, as she saw he was not eating anything. He accepted it and ate it. From that time on, the children merely sat and looked. As far as the eye could reach in the twilight, there was nothing but snow, whose minute crystals began to scintillate in a strange manner, as if they had absorbed the light of day and were emitting it again now. Night fell with the rapidity usual in high altitudes. Soon it was dark all about, only the snow continued to glimmer faintly. Not only had it stopped snowing, but the clouds began to grow thin and to part, for the children saw the gleam of a star. 
as the snow really emitted light, as it were, and the clouds no longer hung down from the sky. They could see from their cave how the snowy hillocks round about were sharply outlined against the dark sky. The cave was warmer than it had been at any other place during the day, and so the children rested, clinging closely to each other, and even forgot to be afraid of the darkness. Soon the stars multiplied. They gleamed forth, now here, now there, until it seemed that there was not a single cloud left in the whole sky. This was the moment when the people in the valleys were accustomed to light their candles. At first only one is kindled, in order to make light in the room, or possibly only a pine splinter, or the fire is burning in the hearth, and all windows of human habitations grow bright and shed luster into the snowy night. But all the more to-night, Christmas evening, when many more lights were kindled, in order to shine full upon the presents for the children, which lay upon the tables or hung on the trees, innumerable candles were lit. For in nearly every house, every cot, every room, there were children for whom the Christ-child had brought presents, which had to be shown by the light of candles. The boy had thought one could very quickly come down from the mountain, and yet not a single one of the lights burning that night in the valley shone up to them. They saw nothing but the pale snow and the dark sky. All else was rendered invisible by the distance. At this hour the children in all the valleys were receiving their Christmas presents. These two alone sat up there by the edge of the glacier, and the finest presents meant for them on this day lay in little sealed packages in the calfskin bag in the rear of the cave. The snow-clouds had sunk below the mountains on all sides, and a vault of entirely dark blue, almost black, full of densely clustered burning stars, extended above the children and through the midst of them was woven a shimmering broad milky band, which they had, indeed, seen also below in the valley, but never so distinctly. The night was advancing. The children did not know that the stars changed their position and moved toward the west, else they might have recognized the hour of night by their progress. New stars came and the old ones disappeared, but they believed them to be always the same. It grew somewhat brighter about the children by the radiance of the stars, but they saw no valley, no known places, but everywhere white, only white. Only some dark peak, some dark knob, became visible looming up out of the shimmering waste. The moon was nowhere to be seen in the heavens. Perhaps it had set early with the sun, or it had not yet risen. After a long time, the boy said, Sana, you must not sleep, for do you remember what father said, that if one sleeps in the mountains one will freeze to death, as the old hunter slept and sat four months dead on that stone, and no one had known where he was? No, I shall not sleep, said the little girl feebly. Conrad had shaken her by a corner of her coat, in order to make her listen to his words. Then there was silence again. After a little while the boy felt a soft pressure against his arm, which became ever heavier. Sanna had fallen asleep and had sunk over toward him. 
Sana, don't sleep. Please don't sleep, he said. No, she mumbled drowsily. I shall not sleep. He moved farther away from her in order to make her move. She toppled over and would have continued sleeping on the ground. He took hold of her shoulder and shook her. As he moved a little more, he noticed that he was feeling cold himself, and that his arm had grown numb. He was frightened and jumped up. He seized his sister, shook her more vigorously, and said, Sana, get up a little. We want to stand up a little so that we shall feel better. I am not cold, Conrad, she answered. Yes, indeed you are, Sana. Get up, he cried. My fur jacket is warm, she said. I shall help you up, he said. No, she replied, and lay still. Then something else occurred to the boy. Grandmother had said, Just one little mouthful of it will warm the stomach, so that anyone's body will not be cold on the coldest winter day. He reached for his little calfskin knapsack, opened it, and groped around in it until he found the little flask into which Grandmother had put the black coffee for Mother. He took away the wrappings from the bottle, and with some exertion uncorked it. Then he bent down to Sana and said, Here is the coffee that Grandmother sends Mother. Taste a little of it. It will make you feel warm. Mother would give it to us if she knew what we needed it for. The little girl, who was by nature inclined to be passive, answered, I am not cold. Just take a little, urged the boy, and then you may go to sleep again. This expectation tempted Sana, and she mastered herself so far that she took a swallow of the liquor. Then the boy drank a little too. The exceedingly strong extract took effect at once, and all the more powerfully, as the children had never in their life tasted coffee. Instead of going to sleep, Sana became more active and acknowledged that she was cold, but that she felt nice and warm inside and that the warmth was already passing into her hands and feet. The children even spoke a while together. In this fashion they drank ever more of the liquor, in spite of its bitter taste, as the effect of it began to die away and roused their nerves to a fever heat, which was able to counteract their utter weariness. It had become midnight, meanwhile. As they still were so young, and because on every Christmas Eve in the excess of their joy they went to bed very late, and only after being overcome by sleep. They never had heard the midnight tolling, and never the organ of the church when Holy Mass was being celebrated, although they lived close by. At this moment of the holy night all bells were being rung. The bells of Milsdorf were ringing, the bells of Gschaud were ringing, and behind the mountain there was still another church whose three bells were pealing brightly. In the distant lands outside the valley there were innumerable churches and bells, and all of them were ringing at this moment. From village to village the wave of sound traveled. From one village to another one could hear the peal through the bare branches of the trees. But up to the children there came not a sound. Nothing was heard here, for nothing was to be announced here. In the winding valleys the lights of lanterns gleamed along the mountain slopes, 
and from many a farm came the sound of the farm bell to rouse the hands. But far less could all this be seen and heard up here. Only the stars gleamed and calmly twinkled and shone. Even though Conrad kept before his mind the fate of the huntsman who was frozen to death, and even though the children had almost emptied the bottle of black coffee, which necessarily would bring on a corresponding relaxation afterwards, they could not have been able to conquer their desire for sleep, whose seductive sweetness outweighs all arguments against it, had not nature itself, in all its grandeur, assisted them, and in its own depths, awakened a force which was able to cope with sleep. In the enormous stillness that reigned about them, a silence in which no snow crystal seemed to move, the children heard three times the bursting of the ice. That which seems the most rigid of all things, and yet is most flexible and alive, the glacier, had produced these sounds. Thrice they heard behind them a crash, terrific as if the earth were rent asunder, a sound that ramified through the ice in all directions, and seemed to penetrate all its veins. The children remained sitting open-eyed and looked out upon the stars. Their eyes were also kept busy. As the children sat there, a pale light began to blossom forth on the sky before them, among the stars, and extend a flat arc through them. It had a greenish tinge, which gradually worked downward. But the arc became ever brighter until the stars paled in it. It sent a luminosity also into other regions of the heavens, which shed greenish beams softly and actively among the stars. Then sheaves of vari-colored light stood in burning radiance on the height of the arc like the spikes of a crown. Mildly it flowed through the neighboring regions of the heavens, it flashed and showered softly, and in gentle vibrations extended through vast spaces. Whether now the electric matter of the atmosphere had become so tense by the unexampled fall of snow that it resulted in this silent, splendid efflorescence of light, or whether some other cause of unfathomable nature may be assigned as reason for the phenomenon. However that be, gradually the light grew weaker and weaker, first the sheaves died down, until by noticeable degrees it grew ever less and there was nothing in the heavens but the thousands upon thousands of simple stars. The children never exchanged a word, but remained sitting and gazed open-eyed into the heavens. Nothing particular happened afterward. The stars gleamed and shone and twinkled. Only an occasional shooting star traversed them. At last, after the stars had shone alone for a long time, and nothing had been seen of the moon, something else happened. The sky began to grow brighter, slowly but recognizably brighter. Its color became visible, the faintest stars disappeared, and the others were not clustered so densely any longer. Finally, also the bigger stars faded away, and the snow on the heights became more distinct. Now one region of the heavens grew yellow, and a strip of cloud floating in it was inflamed to a glowing line. All things became clearly visible, 
and the remote snow hills assumed sharp outlines. Sana, day is breaking, said the boy. Yes, Conrad, answered the girl. After it grows just a bit brighter we shall go out of the cave and run down from the mountain. It grew brighter, no star was visible any longer, and all things stood out clear in the dawn. Well then, let us go, said the boy. Yes, let us go, answered Sanna. The children arose and tried their limbs, which only now felt their tiredness. Although they had not slept, the morning had reinvigorated them. The boy slung the calfskin bag around his shoulder and fastened Sanna's fur jacket about her. Then he led her out of the cave. End of section 5